Hi, this is Joe Montana. This is Dak Prescott. Hey, this is Jason Kelsey, and you're listening to Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. I am Rob Motti, and welcome to the AP Pro Football Podcast. We are heading into the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, and AP Pro Football writer and Pro Football Hall of Fame voter Barry Wilner will join me to break it all down. Also, stay tuned for a fascinating conversation with Buffalo Bills defensive tackle Harrison Phillips. His team has advanced into the second round with its first playoff win in 25 years. They had not won a playoff game since Harrison Phillips was born, but they did last week. So we talk about that and much more. Really great dude. Enjoyed the conversation. So stay tuned for that. The big news off the field this week, once again, centering on the Philadelphia Eagles. I I promise I don't do this every week because I cover the team. It's just that the NFL's newest reality show is in Philly, and it's the Eagles. The Eagles fired Doug Peterson less than three years after he won a Super Bowl. The team was 4-11-1, and usually that's going to get a lot of coaches fired. Peterson, though, was going to get another season. He had two years remaining on his contract. The day after the season ended, he did a news conference with general manager Howie Roseman. They talked about this season. There was no indication that this firing was imminent, and then things changed. And here's what happened. Loyalty cost Doug Peterson his job because management wanted him to hire an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator from outside the coaching staff after having him fire a pair of coaches last year who he wanted to keep, but Peterson wanted to promote from within, and he was tired of too much interference from the front office, so he stood up for himself, and it wasn't the first time he had done that. I was told this week management wanted to fire offensive coordinator Frank Reich after the 2016 season, and that was Peterson's first year. He was 7-9. and nine. It was Reich's first season with him as the offensive coordinator. Quarterback Carson Wentz's first season. He was the number two pick that year. He was a rookie. He started 16 games. Peterson stood up for Reich. He ended up staying. The Eagles went on and won the Super Bowl the following year. And then the Indianapolis Colts hired Frank Reich to be their head coach after Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels had initially accepted the job and then changed his mind. Doug Peterson had a terrible season as a head coach, but the collapse of this Eagles team is not solely his fault, and it's not solely Carson Wentz's fault. When a team stinks, it takes a collaborative effort to get to that point. The team lacks talent top to bottom. Their draft failures are well-documented. One Pro Bowl player drafted in the last seven years, zero All-Pros drafted in the last seven years. But owner Jeffrey Lurie said... Howie Roseman's job as GM is safe. Peterson was, he was loyal to his players. He was loyal to his fellow coaches. He was loyal to the city and the fans. And he was loyal to the front office, including the way he handled the final game of the regular season, which we talked about last week because that was the big news. He took all of the heat for benching Jalen Hurts in the fourth quarter and using third-string quarterback Nate Sudfeld in a game that Washington ended up winning to clinch the NFC East. The Eagles end up getting the sixth pick in the draft instead of the ninth, even though Doug Peterson won't be around, to reap the benefits. And then the 6-10 and Giants and their fans were angry and they were frustrated that the Eagles lost and it cost them the division title and they claimed that the Eagles tanked. Well, I also reported this week that the NFL looked into it 
and cleared the Eagles. There will not be any penalty. Jalen Hurts was 7 of 20 in that game, playing with a hamstring injury. He had thrown a pick. He had missed an open receiver in the end zone for a touchdown. I would have given him a lead. So Doug Peterson could easily justify taking him out, and there's really no way that the league could penalize the Eagles no matter what the optics look like and regardless of how some of the media perceives it. Make no mistake here. Doug Peterson took the bullet for the Eagles, but he also did not lose the locker room, despite a couple players grumbling about it. Don't believe the hot takers who have never set foot inside the locker room. I talked to players this week who are all for Doug Peterson. This is a tough business in the NFL. It's cutthroat. There's a ton of backstabbing, and teams know exactly how to use the media to push a narrative they want to sell, even if it isn't truthful. I knew Doug Peterson well. He's one of the good guys, and he's always going to be known as the first coach to lead the Philadelphia Eagles to a Super Bowl championship. And given the dysfunctional state of this team and the front office interference, he quite possibly could be the last head coach to lead the Philadelphia Eagles to a Super Bowl championship. Harrison Phillips was a third-round pick out of Stanford by the Buffalo Bills in 2018. He's a defensive tackle who fills an important role on that line for a team that's 14-3 and and one win away from reaching the AFC Championship game. Harrison does a ton of work in the community, and he's just an all-around great guy. Here's my conversation with Harrison Phillips. Harrison, before you guys beat the Colts last week, the Bills hadn't won a playoff game in your lifetime. I don't know if you're aware of that, but they beat Miami in a wild card game December 30th, 1995. You were born a month later, so happy early birthday. I believe it's going to be next week. Yeah. Did you ever look at it in those terms, and, and what did it mean to this team to finally break that long drought? Yeah, I, I have, and I was fortunate that when I got here, Jim Kelly kind of took me under his wing, and so I was able to you know, learn from the things that they did while they were here, but in uh, most importantly, learn how amazing this whole area in Western New York and the city is when the Bills are winning. Um, but, you know, Jim's older now. And so I started thinking, wait a minute, y'all haven't won one like this since you were closer to my age. You know, you're kind of old. And, you know, so um, I, I've had a good perspective on it. And um, it's really an incredible thing that we've done here in Buffalo from, you know, our general manager, head coach, and the people that they brought in here to bring a winning team back to the city. It's, it's fantastic. You just mentioned the fans. You guys had fans in the stadium for the first time last week. Obviously, a smaller crowd because of COVID and everything going on. What was it like to have some of the Bills Mafia there in the stands to see you guys? Uh, it was incredible. And uh, I think that the thing that I appreciated the most is I've been able to get to know some of these people um, who live in Western New York and are diehard Bills fans and how much it means to them to get to be here. You know, it's their livelihood. You know, they live and die with the Buffalo Bills and people who – um, you know, have had children and raised children and those children have never known of a, of a playoff game here. And so for them to maybe come and experience fathers and sons being in the stadiums or just old season ticket members who have been waiting and waiting for a home playoff game, for them to be able to be here, make some noise and help us win the game, um, it's really special to play in front of them. Now, you guys, you got a tough matchup against Baltimore Saturday night. We know about Lamar Jackson and what he can do and that prolific run game that they have. How do you limit Lamar? 
Like, how do you go out there? And it's not just him, right? It's it's he's got Dobbins, Edwards, all running the ball, and then they're dangerous in the air as well. So, what do you guys have to do to contain this team? You know, like you said, they have some unbelievable athletes on their team that can run the ball. Um, their scheme is fantastic. I'm in awe just watching Lamar the way that he he's developed so far in the league. I, I can't say enough positive things about him. Um, I think that obviously our plan is it comes down to to gap integrity and tackling. A lot of times when uh, those running backs or even Lamar are breaking large runs. It's because guys are not in their proper gap or they're missing one-on-one tackles with the guys. And so um, as long as we are all gap sound and have gap integrity, we do our specific job, our 111. And then when the play's there to make, everybody make the, their, their play respectively. So um, those are the ways that we have to limit them. And um, we can't let the run game really get going and building. As you just said about Lamar and his development in the league, you came in as a third-round pick in 2018, the same year Josh Allen was a first-round pick by Buffalo, and his rise has been also quite impressive to where he's in a conversation this year for MVP. What have you seen out of him and his development over the three years? Yeah, I mean, like you just said, he's the MVP of the league, playing at a, such a high standard, um, and the jump that he made from one to two and two to three is, is unbelievable. I can't wait to see the jump he even has from, from three to four. I think he's only um, tapping the potential that he has in this league. Um, and, you know, it's a guy who cares about what he does. Um, he has the right weapons around him now and uh, built the offense to kind of suit some of his strengths. And uh, the thing I like the most about him uh, if I had to pick one play out of everything he's done was that Dallas fourth and one on Thanksgiving where he, he got stopped short of the line, balls coming out, and he just fought and, sp- and beat as many guys as he could to get that first down. And that's the grit and the warrior that he is, and it's inspiring as a leader in our team. Harrison, I want to ask you a couple coaches. You played under defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier. He's been interviewed for some head coaching positions. He's been in a conversation. He already was a, a head coach previously. What would you say about him? If another team reached out and asked you? Uh, selfishly, I'd say, oh, no, don't go with that guy. <laughs> you can't give him. Um, but in, in an honest way, I'm so happy for Coach Frazier. Uh, he's a fantastic individual, a great coach, cares about his players tremendously, and has proven that he can be in this league. I mean, he's won a Super Bowl as a player and as a coach. Uh, I respect him tremendously. Um, will definitely be a huge loss if, if he ends up leaving the Buffalo Bills. But um, I couldn't I couldn't uh, I, I don't know who's all applying for head coaching jobs out there, but there's not many better candidates than him. As for Sean McDermott, I know him from his time in Philadelphia. I know what kind of guy he is, what kind of coach he is. What has he meant to you and, and your development and being that he brought you into Buffalo? Yeah, first and foremost, you know, uh, like you said, I was a third round pick. So every team had a chance to pick me, you know, prior to the Bills and they were the first ones to pick me. And so that in itself was a a motivation to me to want to help prove them right for for choosing me to come here. And then just how he's treated me through my time here, through the ups and downs with my injury last year, battling this year, being somewhat healthy, but not my true self. All the mental um, toughness has to come along with that. Uh, so I, I'm very appreciative that in my time as a young player in the NFL, he's been my head coach to be in my development, to teach me all the things it means to be a professional and that it doesn't just have to be transactional, that this doesn't just have to be a business. Yes, there's going to be some things that are, but uh, there's still people. We're all still people. And the number one thing in this in this building are, are is, is the people and, um, you know, loving one another can kind of conquer everything. So uh, I'm very fortunate that I have spent my first three years here. Before that injury last season, you got your first career sack, half sack 
on Eli Manning. I think he knocked down a couple of his passes in that game. To, to be able to say that's the guy, right, a two-time Super Bowl champion who you got your first sack on, what did that feel like to you? Have you even reflected on it? Yeah, you know, it was it was really cool during that year. Um, a hard time, obviously, because I went from my very best game in my career uh, and I tore my ACL the next week. So it, it was my highest of highs to my lowest of lows. And there was a lot of tests that went along there. But I believe that Eli was pulled the next game and they started going with Daniel uh, Jones, right? Yeah. And uh, so for like, I don't know, 13, 14 weeks, I was the last person that had sacked Eli Manning. That was the last <laughs> sack in our game. And so I was like, hey, my claim to fame could be that I was the last person. If he doesn't come back in and he retires, I would have been the last person. But oh, wow. <laughs> he, he came in towards the end of the year and, and he gave up a couple sacks. So I, I can't say that. But uh, it, it was definitely a, a cool moment and uh, inspiration for me, uh, you know, as I, as I start to get back fully to my true 100% self and attack this offseason to get back out there and to get a few more notches on the belt as well. You mentioned how tough that is to come back from that injury. It's obviously, I've had an ACL. I know the physical part of it. I know the rehab part of it, but the mental side of it, especially for someone like yourself, who, like you said, you, you were coming off a, a great game, best game, and then it happens. What helped you through that emotional roller coaster? Uh, I mean, I can't lie to you. It was a, a very hard, dark time for me. You know, I fell into kind of some seasonal depression and stuff like that, but ultimately leaning on my faith and realizing that there's some bigger things outside of here that's really going on. And if my worst, you know, the worst thing that happens to me in my life is, is tearing the ACL and having to miss a few games in the NFL. Uh, I think that my life is, is pretty, pretty solid. And so um, just trying to find ways, you know, last year pre COVID um, I started getting out of the community, doing more and more as I could with my organizations and um, nonprofits and just trying to, to get perspective on, on things and um, find passion since, since that, that desire in me to give and to serve. Sometimes I find that through football, just doing my job, helping the team win. Uh, since that was taken away from me, um, just tried to do as much as I could in the community and, and kind of have that servant leadership um, to, to find purpose. Well, I want to talk about that because you were nominated, Harrison, first for the Salute to Service Award, which recognizes exceptional efforts by members of the NFL community to honor and support U.S. service members, veterans, and their families now, your grandfathers were in the military. So how did that inspire you to help and reach out to the veteran community? Yeah, I mean, definitely those those values and morals that are taught in the service were instilled in my family and passed on to me as well. Uh, to see my grandparents, uh, my, my grandfather's work ethic, and uh, it, it definitely did help my development to get to where I am today. And then once I've been here working with the VA, um, working with some of the World War II vets that came and visited us last year. Um, I mean, what what a better way to, you know, help your your nation than to serve in the Army. So that's inspiring to me or serving the, the service. So um, I always salute to them. Anytime I see someone in uniform, I, I definitely go up and thank them for their service and shake their hands um, because, you know, that, that is you – know, they fought so that we could play this game. You were also nominated for Walter Payton Man of the Year Award – which a lot of players, Harrison, tell me out of everything that they do, whether it's uh, Pro Bowls, All Pro, individual awards, it's, this is more significant to them because it's doing a lot of work for others, as you mentioned, in the community, helping, service. You did a lot of work around the pandemic. You have the Playmakers Organization, which supports children with intellectual disabilities. Tell me a little bit more about what you, were, what you do and what you're passionate about and how that's inspired you to work. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I like to say that my heart isn't biased. You know, I got a lot of love to give. Uh, I, I've done work, obviously my kind of bread and butter is my organization, the playmakers. And like you said, we work with kids with developmental differences and special needs. And we've grown that to working with almost a thousand kids throughout the United States, whether it's here back home or where I went to school. Um, I work a lot with pediatric cancer, visit Oshai Children's Hospital here in Buffalo quite frequently when the, the pandemic's not going on. Um, and so that's why I wanted to give back to the frontliners, um, you know, donated 850 meals or something to the doctors and nurses up here, uh, work with the VA, uh, most recently just started working with some animal rescues and dog shelters, providing them with uh, monetary donations as well as food, uh, treats, toys for the animals, blankets during the winter time. And, uh, yeah, I just feel like there's so much bigger purpose than just playing football and um, eventually, hopefully in a long, long time, uh, but I don't obviously out of my control, I'll be done with football at some point and you're going to need to find, um, you know, who you are and all of us in the league. There's so many times identity issues where people think they are a football player. Then when that's gone, there's that huge transition that you have to deal with. Um, and so just try to serve in my community and find value there so that um, if and when football does end for me at, at some point, um, you know, I can still have value somewhere else. You talked about wrestling in high school. I believe you uh, a huge jump from freshman year to senior year, maybe over like 100 pounds or, or however it was. What's your go to meal like when you want to what, what is it? What do you love to, to eat? And, uh, you know, put, how did you do it then? Go, go gain that over the course of three years. It's not easy. Well, well, you know how I said that my, my heart isn't biased. I guess my stomach's not biased either because I, I got a lot of favorite good meals. Um, I mean, I think a, a giant a giant ass porterhouse and some mashed potatoes, corn on the cob, kind of your just Nebraska Midwestern meal. Um, is, is definitely up there. But here, there's so many great Italian spots in Buffalo, Ilio de Palos, Manjas, uh, Lucia's on the lake. I mean, there's just mulberries. There's a lot of great places up here. So I got a lot of chicken parm. I think they were going to add a menu item at, um, at Ilio's. I get the porterhouse steak with a full order of chicken parmesan on top of it. Wow. Uh, so, so that helps keep some weight on. My, my one trick in high school and college is I would set an alarm every every uh, every night at three thirty in the morning, and right before I went to bed at night, I would make two peanut butter and jellies and have a glass of milk in my little fridge, whole milk. And so I'd wake up at three thirty, I'd eat two PB and J's, drink a glass of whole milk, go back to bed, and I was able to get another thousand calories every day. So that's how I, you know, was able to put on some weight. Well, Harrison, man, this was fun. I really appreciate the conversation, and uh, wish you a ton of luck and a whole lot of blessings, my man. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. Now for our weekly conversation and look around the league is my colleague, AP Pro Football writer, Barry Wilner. Barry, before we get into the weekend action, a couple QBs who were eliminated last week may have played their last games with those respective teams or maybe might retire. Phillip Rivers in Indy, Ben Roethlisberger with the Steelers, both eliminated. Big Ben will turn 39 in March. He declined this year after a strong start. Steelers were 11-0. He's got a cap hit of $41.25 million next season. Now, he's indicated that he would like to return. Coach Tomlin said this week, we haven't made any decisions about any of our personnel along those lines. I think it's reasonable to assume there is a chance he is going to be back, certainly. He, those were guarded words. What do you think happens with Roethlisberger and Pittsburgh? So much of that, Rob, depends on whether the Steelers decide that 
they need to do a, a bit of a rebuild, um, more of a retooling, I guess. Uh, they, that cap hit of 40 or so million dollars would prevent them from re-signing some other key people. And they've got some, you know, important free agents, including uh, Juju Schuster and um, Bud Dupree. Also, uh, Bud Dupree. Yeah. So they have to decide, uh, are they going to pay a quarterback who probably only has one year left and who knows how effective he can be? Or are they going to maybe look elsewhere quarterback-wise and try to resign some of those other guys? I don't think that there will be a big market for Roethlisberger outside of Pittsburgh, though. In Indy, Philip Rivers is already 39. He'll be a free agent. He ended the year playing well, but they lose in the playoffs. He may retire. Frank Reich, the coach there, said he wants him back. They could pursue Carson Wentz if he becomes available. What do you see happening with Rivers and the Colts? That's all on Rivers. The Colts want him back, and they will bring him back if he says, yes, I'll play another year. Uh, I, I fully believe, regardless, that the Colts are going to go out and draft a quarterback or find a younger quarterback. And, you know, Wentz is a, would come in as a, as a starter. So he would only be in the market there if uh, Rivers retires, I think. But this is all on Philip Rivers. And the odd thing is, when this season began, Rob, most of us thought it would be a one-year and out for Rivers. And most of us were not talking about Roethlisberger, even though he came off of... Uh, elbow surgery, and now it looks like Rivers might be the more likely guy to be back with this team than Roethlisberger. It's interesting. We'll see how that plays out. As we speak right now, seven NFL teams looking for a head coach as Doug Peterson was fired this week and added to the mix. But don't add the Bears to that list. Matt Nagy's safe. GM Ryan Pace is safe. They're coming back. Bears went 8-8, eight and eight, two playoff appearances in the last three seasons, but zero playoff wins. Would you consider both of those guys early candidates for the hot seat next season? Especially when the owner comes out and has to tell you that their job is safe. Usually when an owner comes out and says they're coming back, that indicates it's a short leash for the next year. Yeah, and and they only really mention they're coming back next season. There's no uh, extension of contracts. There's no long-term commitment. Um, I know there was a lot of surprise in Chicago that they're coming back. I'm not surprised, and I had written it a while ago, you know, I didn't think that they'd get fired once the Bears made the playoffs. Uh, I think they deserve one more year. The interesting part of this now is what do they do with Mitchell Trubisky because uh, both Pace and Nagy are so tied to Trubisky, who is now a free agent. Yeah, that's another one that's going to play out, and we'll see what happens with Trubisky. But he did get he rallied them, got them into the playoffs. The offense came on. You can look at some of the opponents, so they can make a case either way. The divisional round of the playoffs is here, and in the NFC, we got the old man quarterbacks. They're going strong: Brady, Breeze, Aaron Rodgers. Let's start with the first game Saturday afternoon: Packers against the Rams in Lambeau. Green Bay's a six and a half point favorite. And in this matchup, we'll see the number one scoring offense in the Packers and the number one scoring defense in the Rams. They've allowed the fewest points over the course of the season. You have some all-pro matchups, Devontae Adams against Jalen Ramsey. That'll be fun to watch. Aaron Donald going against Packers center Corey Lindsey. That'll be fun to watch. Lindsey Lee, actually. Uh, the head coaches are friends, right? Matt LaFleur and Sean McVay, they know each other. They work together in L.A. and Washington. I was impressed last week by the Rams' defense, how they played against Russell Wilson in Seattle. 
but this is on the road, cold weather, Green Bay. Rodgers is healthy. He's rolling. He's playing great. Jared Goff looked like he was clearly injured last week playing with that thumb. He managed the game well. Barry, I'll take the Packers. I'll give the six and a half. It might even, for me, be a double-digit game. What do you think? I'm going to take the Packers, but I'm actually going to take the points, which mm. were seven and a half when I made my picks. Um, I think that defense is going to keep the game close. Uh, if it comes down to quarterbacks, the game is going to be a rout, and Green Bay will win easily, I think. But I think that the Rams defense, which was the most impressive unit of any we saw last weekend, is going to be a factor in this game. Uh, the weather being cold could be a factor, too. Obviously, there's no fans in, in Lambeau Field. Uh, and you know, it almost comes down in some ways to uh, Aaron meets Aaron, or Aaron meets Aaron and Aaron. <laughs> I guess uh, you know if Aaron Donald can yeah. be a real test, to Aaron Rodgers, and can knock down Aaron Jones when he's running the ball in the backfield or for small gains, uh, that gives the Rams a pretty good chance. But the defense would have to win this game for LA, and uh, I like the Packers to win it. But I think it's going to be a close game. All right, Saturday night, the Bills host the Ravens. Lamar Jackson got his playoff win after two losses in his first two seasons. So nice to see that out of the way before that becomes a narrative. Now it's an even tougher matchup for Baltimore at Buffalo. To me, the difference makers here, Josh Allen and the season he's had and Stephon Diggs, they're going against a, a tough defense, a strong secondary for the Ravens. Marcus Peters was an all-pro. Marlon Humphrey is solid back there. But what we've seen this year when Buffalo plays a tough defense, it usually brings out the best in them. Here's a great stat. They've faced a top-10 defense five times. They're 5-0 and in those games. They've averaged 29.8 points per game, and Josh Allen in those games has completed 71% of his passes. I'll take Buffalo minus the 2.5. Uh, I've seen it at 3. I've seen it at 2.5. Whatever it ends up being, I'll take Buffalo to win this game. You have to watch that stat, though, because two of those games, one was when Pittsburgh had gone flat and mm. the offense disappeared. And one was when they played the Rams, and the Rams scored a lot of points in that game uh, before losing. So um, uh, you have to uh, really look at those um, stats maybe even a little deeper. That said, I like this again to be a very close game. I can see this being a one, two, three-point game. Uh, the stat that I look at that impresses me a lot is John Harbaugh has won eight road games in the playoffs, which is a record. Wow. Uh, he just beat uh, Tom Landry and um, Tom Coughlin. Now you know years ago they didn't play a lot of they didn't play a lot of playoff games way back. So guys like Vince Lombardi right. and Don Shula, you know they didn't you know, Paul Brown. They didn't have a lot of road games. But still, it's, it's a tremendous uh, feat. That's not a team that gets intimidated anywhere. And Lamar Jackson showed a lot of maturity uh, in the game of Tennessee, especially if they fell behind ten nothing. So I see this going down to the wire. I can see it going to overtime. I think it's going to be a very close game. And, Rob, I'll tell you right now, I can see the winner of this game in the Super Bowl. Mm. Hey, who are you going to take? you going to take Buffalo, or are you just going to stick with the close game? Putting you on the spot, um, Barrett. I'm taking Buffalo. Okay. I just hope that it doesn't come down to a field goal that winds up going wide right. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday afternoon, first game, Browns at Kansas City. 
That was a wild win for Cleveland at Pittsburgh. And now we can say Bill Belichick is no longer the last head coach to lead the Browns to a playoff win because Kevin Stefanski did it from his couch. He'll be back this weekend. I see in the Browns a team that has the formula to win with Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, excellent run game, grind it out, chew the clock, old school football, keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. Having said that, I don't see it happening. Cleveland beat the Steelers because they scored 24 points off turnovers. Kansas City's going to protect the ball much better than that. I like the Chiefs to win. The number's 10. I'll take the Browns with a backdoor late garbage touchdown to cover. I like Kansas City to win, but not even be threatened. Maybe have like a 15, 16 point lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, the spread's too big. I agree. And I think I think they win by around 10. So I would take the points with Cleveland. Uh, I agree with everything you said. That's exactly the way to wrap up this game. Uh, I don't worry too much about rustiness. We might see a little bit of it from Kansas City, but I think being rested is really important here. Um, you know, the Browns could be a dangerous team as we move along in the next few years. I don't think they're quite ready uh, to go into Kansas City and uh, knock off the defending champs. And then Sunday night, the matchup we've anticipated. 43-year-old Tom Brady versus Drew Brees, who turns 42 on Friday. Buccaneers visit the Saints. New Orleans swept the season series. They blew Tampa out in November, 38-3. to the teams who win the first two, I thought, you know, we always say it's tougher. It's tough to beat a team three times. I looked up this stat and I couldn't get the most up to date numbers, but as of last year, it was 14 and seven. The teams who sweep the season series then win the third matchup. But yeah. Br- Brady and the offense are clicking. Saints have a tough D. They have Breeze, Michael Thomas, they have Alvin Kamara. They could do everything. They're home. I took Tampa to go to the Super Bowl for sentimental thoughts. As long as Brady's playing, I always pick him. So I saved this game as my only road win of the weekend. I'll take Brady and the Bucks plus the three points. What do you think? I think you're reading my mind. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, uh, the, the Saints are actually the last team that was in this position when they played against Carolina in the playoffs after sweeping Carolina in the regular season, and the Saints won that game in the playoffs too. Uh, there's a few things about this game. First, I wish it was on Nickelodeon. They did such a great job <laughs> with the game on the weekend. And how cool would it be to have the the two old guys uh, playing on Nickelodeon? That would, um, that would be something. Yeah. Uh, what, how, what, what was that like, Barry? Because here, here's what happened to me. I turned the game on. My daughters had put it on the uh, – hit the wrong button on the SAP, and it was in Spanish. I couldn't figure out how to change it into English. I spent the first quarter listening to the Spanish version of it and just left it there and forgot all about Nickelodeon. So what did you see? Uh, they did a great job. First of all, any chance I get to not watch uh, – uh, listen to Jim Nance, uh, I'll take that <laughs> opportunity. Um but they didn't play. They didn't play down with the audience. They they explained things. They had a lot of fun with it. They had all these uh, cool little gadgets on the screen, and um, the commentary was was fun. It, they just treated it like um, what you know kids of all ages would enjoy. And I mm-hmm. hope that the NFL does this again. I'd love to see them do it for the Super Bowl. Um, but I don't think that that's going to happen this year. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun and. Um, Getting back to this game, yeah. Um, 
I agree with you uh, on so much of this. I think the Saints are the better team. And I won't be surprised if they win the game, and I won't be surprised if they cover. But I'm not betting against Tom Brady, particularly in the playoffs. Particularly, he's on a better team than he's been on in in quite a few years, frankly. I think the I don't think the Patriots were as good as this Bucks team on offense since maybe Randy Moss was playing in New England. So I'm going to pick an upset in that game, and I'm going to take the Buccaneers. Here's a, a stat for you for this one that, that goes against both of our picks, and that is the Malcolm Jenkins factor. Malcolm Jenkins' teams with the Saints and with Philly, and now Saints again, are 5-2 and two lifetime against Tom Brady, and he's got a couple picks. He's got a sack and a half, and he's got a 99-yard pick six in there too as well. So uh, if, if, if Brady's just got to watch out for Malcolm Jenkins, and I, I think you and I – We'll uh, hit on hit on our pick, and then we could do this again. Championship weekend, Barry. Good stuff. Anytime, Rob. Time for some final thoughts. Former NFL GM Mike Lombardi provided excellent insight this week in an article for the Athletic on how teams sometimes try to control the narrative by leaking information that manipulates the truth, or as he put it, not necessarily the truth, but a version of a myth they want to create as truth. So what happens is teams, front offices, management, executives, they share this information with insiders who put it out there on TV, on social media, because the info that they're being given is coming directly from a team source So they use it. But in reality, sometimes that information is, as Mike said, a version of a myth. And teams want to create that as truth so they can sell their story, their side of events to fans. My point is this. Don't believe everything you hear as fact. Credible media reporters aren't lying, but teams are sharing info that isn't always the truth. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you to Buffalo Bills defensive tackle Harrison Phillips and my colleague Barry Wilner for joining me this week. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on iTunes and wherever you get your podcast, download, leave a review, tell a friend, share it out. Also, check out our college football writer Ralph Russo and his AP Top 25 college football podcast. Until next week, I'm Rob Motti reminding you, make a difference, be a blessing.